Welcome to Engaging Faith Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Frame. In this week's expedition, we're continuing in Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. This is actually part two of the letter to the church at Philadelphia. So without further ado, we're going to jump right in uh, to the lecture in the class. So the church at Philadelphia, part two. Uh, you know, we were talking about the Jewish people. That's where we left off at the, at the last class, where we were talking about the synagogue of Satan and the Jewish people. And we talked a little bit about this idea of replacement theology, okay? And, and realizing and recognizing that we as the church, that scripture in the New Testament and the New, the New Covenant with Christ, that it, it's very clear about where we stand in Christ Jesus and where we stand as the people of God and how Jesus sees, his, sees us as his bride. And we, and we know that that's not just the Gentile believers. We know that scripture is very clear that there's this meshing together. There's this creation of a new man that the Bible tells us about. And this new man is the bringing together of the Jewish believers, those who were clearly the called out ones. Mm -hmm. right? Those that, when you go all the way back to Genesis, chapter 10 and 11 and all of that, and we look at the Tower of Babel and that entire event that we've talked about in depth, God made it clear that he was going to create his portion, that he was going to create a people for himself. And those people are the Jewish people. They didn't exist. We've talked about that. They didn't exist at that point in time with the Tower of Babel event. God made them and created them from no people at all. Abram, who would become Abraham, and his wife Sarah, who was barren, they were at an age where, man, you're not having kids, right? She couldn't have kids. They couldn't physically have kids. So the act that God did in her body was a miracle of creation right then and there of a people who did not exist before, a promised people. And they had a role and they had a purpose, and that purpose was that they were to be light and salt to the world. They were a nation of priests. And we talked about last week that terminology of a synagogue of Satan that that doesn't mean today that we're supposed to look at the Israelites and say shame on you whatever happens to you you deserve because you killed our Savior and you don't believe in the Messiah okay that's not the attitude that we're to have or to take although Peter boldly proclaimed in Acts right you're the ones who crucified him <laughs> and who was he talking to Jews. He was talking to the Jews. He dressed them down, and he let them know in no uncertain terms. This Peter, who just earlier denied Christ, denied Christ over, over a woman looking at him across from a campfire and saying, I recognize you. I know who you are. You are with Jesus. You're one of them. Oh, no, I'm not. I don't know the man. <laughs> right? That was, that was Peter, and now Peter in Acts is looking at, at them and saying, you're the ones who crucified the Messiah. He's the one who is standing with boldness and declaring this truth to, to these people of God. And yeah, they were falling, and yes, over and over they sinned. Over and over they, they denied God. I think it's worth adding that, you know, 
new covenants do not necessarily mean that the old covenant isn't still in play. You know, the Abrahamic covenant was in play. The Mosaic covenant came into that. That didn't that didn't stop what was happening with the Abrahamic covenant. You know, there's still a, there's still a special place in God's heart for the Jewish people. But His desire to that that all men come to the saving knowledge of Christ happens through <coughs> Jesus' work on the cross and, and what He did there. And, and you know, Amen. That's right. And and this fulfillment of what God's requirements were and what, what God's law was all about and what it was to lead us to. It, it led, if you followed the law itself, what did the law lead you to? Huh? Repentance. Man, well, the law would lead you to Jesus, right, and this recognition of repentance, but if you relied on the law alone, it leads you to death, right? As a matter of fact, Scripture tells us that because of the law, man's accountable to sin, Right? Isn't that right? Mm -hmm. that's, an, that's another interesting rabbit trail to go down. Okay? But because of the law, man is held accountable for sin. And it leads to death. But through that law and that recognition of our imperfection, that recognition of our sin, it, we're, we're supposed to come to this place where we recognize who God is and we repent. And we turn to the Lord. But we're human beings. Right? We're human beings. So here's this church in Philadelphia. We know that the, the Israelite people were the primary persecutors of the church at this time. And Jesus wanted, he told John, when John received the revelation on the island of Patmos, he specifically tells you, I want you to write what you're about to see in a book, and I want you to take it to these seven churches, and he lists these seven churches that we know are in Asia Minor, in modern-day Turkey. And we know that persecution was, was going on. These, these people, which this plays into what we're going to read when we get further into Revelation, and we're looking at these descriptions and this imagery that's taking place and these prophecies that are happening. Do you realize that the people of God were being denied uh, in, in many ways access to it, the economy? Mm -hmm. And we know this historically. As a matter of fact, and we'll talk about this later down the road, but, but there was a requirement for a number. There was a requirement for some type of, of uh, identifying component that you identified with the Roman Empire, for example, and what it stood for and, and all that in order to buy, sell, and trade. Yeah. Mm -hmm. this, is his, this is in history. We know that some of these things took place. So, so remember, in Revelation, don't forget, we've talked about, there's these interpretive models. There's a word out there, it's called eschatology. Okay? And eschatology, it's about these last things, these last days, the, the end of history. Okay? And, and so, the, the church at Philadelphia, in verse, we're going to focus in on verses 10 and 11. Okay? So, Rick, you're back. You get to read the first verses. <laughs> so, the church at Philadelphia, Revelation 3, 7 through 13. Just read verses 10 and 11. Okay. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you when the hour of trial is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. 
So Jesus is, he's telling the church in Philadelphia, he's making a promise to them. And he's making a promise to them based off of their faithful endurance. And, and what are they enduring? They're enduring this persecution that's taking place in that region, in that area. Whatever that looks like, okay? You know, I, I think too, because we know Philadelphia is a place where earthquakes took place a lot. I mean, can you imagine if you're living in an area and you lose the things that you have? is a believer and the things that you've built up. Now, I know we all talk about and feel like, hey, we would, we would enter those gates with joy. You'd stand out in your yard with your hands raised to heaven and you'll praise God uh, that, hey, my house just collapsed and everything in it burned and I, I've lost, right? That's the first thing you'll do, right? I mean, come on, let's be honest. What? What is that? I said, woe is me. Woe is me is what you're, probably your first reaction is not going to be this. And I'm, and I'm not, and I'm not, I'm not degrading that. I'm saying we're human beings. And we get faced with catastrophes and dilemmas and crisis. And the first thing that we do is, is we look and we struggle with that. Is that wrong? Is God saying, no, I don't want you to struggle with that? What's he saying? In our weakness, he is strong. In our weakness, he is strong. Man, the humble, when we're humbled and we come before the Lord, what's he going to do for us? Lift us up. He's going to lift us up. Man, if we will humble ourselves and pray for our nation, what does God say that he'll do? Mm -hmm. If we'll turn back, he'll heal our land. Well, you know what? That means that we have this moment. We have this place in our life where, where we look at the catastrophe that's hit us, and, and I can imagine the Philadelphians dealing with some of these just everyday crisis moments and catastrophe, and then on top of that, you pile in this whole idea that, man, I'm being persecuted because I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe Jesus is the Lord. I believe that he is Messiah. And because I believe that, I've got not only the religion of, of, of the time, the religion of my people wanting to do what? Man, they're coming and saying, you know, Frank, you do not deserve to even go over to the marketplace and buy food for your family because you believe in Jesus. Those things are happening today. It's alive and well. We're, we're experiencing lightly in comparison to other believers in the world, right? But even in our own country, we're experiencing more and more uh, crisis pointed at a believer. You can't bake a cake, you know, standing on your principles. No matter where you fall on, on either side of that, what do I mean by that? Some believers, and, I, and I've said this, well, what if we bake that, what if they baked that cake and said, you know what, I don't believe in what you're doing at all, and this isn't a support of what you're doing. I'm going to bake you the most beautiful cake that I can because I want you to know Jesus loves you and you need to turn back to him. What if they just said, yeah, I'll bake that cake and told that message. And I'm going to give it to you. And I'm going to give it to you. You don't even have to pay for it. Wouldn't have made the news. No, we'd never known about that bakery. Right. Right? 
So, I mean, there's two sides of these coins. That doesn't mean they, they were wrong for standing on their that convictions either. More or less principled a stance to take. No, absolutely not. And totally support them. Because, that, because you know what? God's in all of this. There's a reason that they needed to take that stand for them, for where they were at in their relationship with the Lord and what God was telling them to do. Patient endurance. And he's called us as the church, as, as his children, to patiently endure. Shane's patiently enduring. Tammy's patiently enduring. Man, we've watched and observed your patient endurance. Their daughter's had a heart transplant. Right? Man, Tammy's had to deal with breast cancer and a double mastectomy. And now Shane is dealing with cancer on his kidney. Now, you know what? God loves them. I don't know about you, but, but if, you know, I don't even know what you're experiencing. And, and I've known you guys forever. My wife and I have known you forever. But do you think they don't have moments where they're saying, God, why us? Why our family? Why is this happening? Because they love Jesus. Man, they live for the Lord. And they've blessed a whole lot of people including my family, okay? Yes, we are absolutely going to have those, and God is not telling us not to, right? What's he telling us to do? He's telling us to be like the church in Philadelphia and to patiently endure. Endure. And he's told us something else. You're not doing it by yourself. So in this endurance, he promises them something. He's told them. And we can't forget, right, Revelation has multiple interpretive models. Four major ones, but there's all kinds of them out there, okay? And he's promised them, he's told them, hey, listen, because of your patient endurance, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep you from a trial that's coming on the whole earth. That's what he tells them. This is a promise. So what does he mean by that? Well, let's get back into that framework of these interpretive models. Dispensationalism, futurism, right? And again, I remind you if you don't if you if you don't remember what all those are that we've talked about, then we've got a list of it up here. Go ahead. Well, even the scripture gives us a lesson in the Old Testament with the man sitting on the dung heap and he lost everything. He patiently endured. He patiently endured. And he came out of a lot. A lot. So you know, we just, we learn from, from those uh, scriptures, too. So. so you have Job. Mm -hmm. You've got Lot. Mm -hmm. And, and what's, what's the common thread there, by the way? God doesn't save us from the trial. He saves us through the trial. Amen. So that we can grow stronger. <coughs> Amen. What did he tell Peter? You're going to deny me, Peter. I mean, you know what? Frank, you're a rock star believer, you're, but you're going to deny it. Three times. Three times, brother. You're going to do it. But guess what? It's all right, man. We're going to restore you. I'm praying for you. Right? That's what Jesus says. I'm praying for you. This same Jesus is praying for the Clouds family. He's intervening. And he's praying for you. And he's praying for me Amen. through whatever situations we're facing. And he's saying, man, he endure. I'm going to build you up. Just hang in there with me. Just keep moving forward. 
Don't let go. Hang on faithfully. Endure, and I promise. And give God the glory. Man, I'm going to do amazing things in and through your life. And we know, he told the church, we've already read some of these churches' letters, right? He's already told them, hang in there, even be faithful to death. And I'm going to give you something. And it's not about this something, okay? It's not about whatever gifts God has for us or crowns or any of these kinds of things. That's not why we do what we do. We do what we do and and faithfully enduring as the church is his body in the face of persecution. And guys, this is relevant to us today. This is relevant in the here and the now. And I personally believe it's not going to get better, okay, in, in one sense, all right? Don't lose your faith. Don't, don't, don't not endure through it because God's going to give you that capacity. But what, what do these models say? Well, we got to get back into this framework a little bit. Futurists, this is a, even though all of them fairly agree on what these letters are all about to the churches and, and their position. We've talked about that already. There are places in them that they diverge some, and this is one of those places. Verse 10, a futurist, right? That's the dominant position in our world today. Dispensationalism, futurism, okay? And in case you forgot, what is that? that? That means that everything about the book of Revelation is out in the future. That it's about that last seven, you know, seven-year period at, at the end of time, the end of history, and everything about the revelation pertains to that. And, and you get to that three and a half year mark and all that kind of good stuff, and then the church is gonna be raptured out before the tribulation. This is one of those places that they point to. So read verse 10 again. Since you have kept my commandments here patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole earth to test those who live on the earth. So there's this hour of trial. There's a specified period. It's an hour of trial that's not going to come just in one particular geographic place, although uh, preterists interpret that to mean that because that, that word, the whole world, can also be translated as land. Okay? So here's a specified period of time where this intense trial, this crisis, this worldwide crisis is going to take place. I mean, it's right there. We just read it. And he's told this church, he's told Philadelphia, because you have patiently endured, I'm going to keep you from that. So futurists point to this passage and they say, this is the global crisis of revelation that takes on the entire you know, aspect and encompasses all of the world, and the keeping from is the rapture. Now, as we understand the rapture, what does that mean? Simple, right? Man, we're gone. We're out of here. <coughs> we're not going to participate. Right? I mean, is that what verse 10 is telling us? Maybe. Maybe that's what verse 10 is telling us, all right? So a futurist says, this is clear. This keep from. He's going to pull us out. He's going to remove believers from the earth. It's right there. 
Okay. Other approaches, on the other hand, so what are those other approaches? Well, pretty much, you know, there's all kinds of them. But you have preterism, you have idealism, right? And you have historicism, and then you have futurism. Those are the four main topics that are models that we're dealing with. All the others say, ah, not so quick. And why do they say that? Now, if you're solidly stuck in this filter of dispensationalism and futurism, you're just going to read right through that, and you might even point to that passage and share it with somebody as part of your proof text of why futurism is right on, why the church is going to be, they're going to be raptured out of here. We're not going to experience the tribulation. And then you'll move on down, go to your next passage of scripture, what have you. You've got to run into a problem. And the problem is you need to dig a little bit deeper to find out some things that are embedded in that verse. So the other positions that approach it say not so fast. There's no requirement in that verse that Christians be removed completely from the earth during the tribulation. As a matter of fact, the language doesn't necessarily support that at all. Okay? Somebody go grab John chapter 17, verse 15. Do I have a taper? We'll read that for you. Frank, you got that? So go get ready there in John chapter 17, verse 15. This is an important passage of Scripture. And, and the reason others take this position that, no, the church doesn't have to be raptured. No, this doesn't have to indicate a, a specific time at the end of history of the tribulation period or a trial that overtakes the world. Man, would you agree that throughout history, there's all kinds of trials that have been worldwide? Man, and, and not in my lifetime, right? But in the lifetime of our parents, grandparents, etc., three or four generations, there's been two world wars. And trust me, if you were a believer experiencing that, you probably thought this is it. How could this not be? What scripture is talking about? Or what if what if before World War One, what if you lived in Russia under Stalin and you happen to be one of 70 million? Did you hear that number? Mm -hmm. What if you happen to be one of 70 million people living in that country that he didn't like and decided that he was going to starve you out and kill you? Because that's how many he starved out and killed, 70 million. 70 million. <laughs> okay? Do you think your experience in that moment might be sitting there telling you, wow, if you're a believer, this is it, Frank. How could this not be it? I'm walking over dead bodies of children and women, emaciated. We're being hunted down. We're being put into trains, cattle cars. Of course you'd be sitting there. So worldwide crisis and trial has been going on throughout history. So why does that term only have to be specified to the end of history? So that's what some of these other positions say. They say, wait a minute, hold on. The language doesn't require that. Furthermore, to keep from, to keep from this trial that he's talking to this church, man, do you think Jesus is able to keep his people through difficulty? I mean, can, even, if, even if they're right, okay, even if this passage deals with 
the end of days. Okay? It doesn't mean it requires the church to be removed completely from the earth that Christians have to leave. Do you think God can't miraculously keep his people during that time from these wars and plagues and, and famines and all that that are taking place on the earth? Do you think he can miraculously keep them? Of course. And he even tells us that we're sealed. There are events in Revelation. We'll see them. That it's clear there's believers here and they're not experiencing physically upon themselves what those who are not believers are experiencing. Okay? Well, read John chapter 17, verse 15. I do not ask that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Wow. Man, this is Jesus talking, this is Jesus' prayer to God the Father about his disciples. He's saying, God, I'm not asking you to remove them from the world. I'm asking you to keep them, right, from the evil. Now, these words, man, you might just blow right over those words, except these are the exact same words. The exact same Greek words in Revelation chapter 3, verse 10, that are used right here in John chapter 17, verse 15. These are the same words that Jesus uses when he says, God, Father, I don't want you taking them out of the world. I don't want, I don't want them going out. I want them here, and I want you to keep them. I want you to keep them from the evil. So, so I would think that's important, right? What does keep from in the Greek mean? Man, this is a word called ek tereo, okay? And, and what it means, ek, okay, that's a primary preposition. And it, it literally means this is the origin of the action. So the origin, where this action is coming from, and we already know from verse 10 in chapter 3, What's the origin of this action? Who is doing this for the church at Philadelphia? Jesus. Ectoreo, mm -hmm. <laughs> the origin of this action is Jesus himself. It's God. And what's he doing? What does Toreo mean? It means to carefully watch over and to guard. So Jesus is telling them, I'm going to carefully watch over and guard you from this trial. Wow. Now, wait a minute. That's a little bit different, isn't it? That sounds a lot different from, oh, I'm going to pull you up out of, and there's going to be a rapture, you're not even going to go through it. That's not the same thing. Mine says hour of temptation. Hour of temptation. Okay. So, so what would that say? They'd say, hey, we want to dig in a little deeper to this word trial and, and what's taking place. Okay. And by the way, there is more to it. It sets us up for chapters 4 through 5 and 6. Okay. So, so it's not so cut and dry that we're going to get yanked out of here. It's a lot more likely that, no, you're going to go through it and you're going to be involved in it. God's going to use you through that circumstance. And there's a blessing that he does tell them that he's going to give them. Okay? But first, let me grab Revelation chapter 1 verse 9. Grab a taker and we're going to I want to get through this part and then we'll pick up 
because we'll finish Philadelphia next week. Go ahead, Jeff. I, John, your brother, and partner in the tribulation, kingdom, and endurance that are in Jesus, was on the Isles called Patmos because of God's word and the testimony about Jesus. So right there, John says, I'm your partner in the tribulation. Same word. Okay? I'm your partner in the tribulation and in the endurance that's in, in Christ Jesus, right? 2 Peter 2.9. Do I have a take or you got that, Nolene? Mm -hmm. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him. No, no. Nope, Second Peter. Never mind. I didn't get there. <laughs> I was sitting there going, no, I don't that's not what I remember. Second Peter. Okay. You got it. Second Peter two nine. You're all right. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. Man, what does the Lord know how to do? <laughs> Man, he knows how to rescue us from trials, from temptations from difficulties that we're going to experience. He knows how to rescue us. So that should tell us something. It means, it means this in part. Look, his rescue may not be what I think rescuing is. Right? His rescue might be that it's, Frank, I'm going to give you the strength, this supernatural strength, this peace that surpasses all understanding, this capacity or ability to endure through this situation and circumstance, and not only endure, Frank, but, man, you're going to share with Danette, who's going through this problem alongside of you, some things that, man, if you weren't experiencing this and going in through it with her, and she wasn't in this place with you at the same time, she would not have been ready to receive what I have for her to receive. Wow, that's very different. And then Frank goes, wow, man, even in this, I wouldn't change anything because I got to see Danette's life miraculously transformed, and I got to be used by God. How many times have we been in a situation that was negative at the time, but we look back and we go, wow, I would not change that? Yeah, <laughs> oh. yeah really. Amen. And we're more likely as believers who are pursuing God to have that experience than someone who's not. Recognize it next time. Amen. Next time you're going through that trial, you're like, okay, I know. We build up our, our faith, our trust. Our we build up our perseverance. You know, the world, we see in Job, the world tells us, you know, when Job's wife told Job, curse God and die. Yeah. Just His own wife. And Just die. get it over with. Yeah. You know, and, and so we, we're able to, to go through that, you know, and, instead of just. I'm done. The closest person in the world to him was telling him to curse God and die. And Tammy, you pointed out his friends were telling him, look, dude, you messed up. You, <laughs> what did you do? There, man, Lane, you really screwed up, dude. I, I can see that. I mean, otherwise, this would not have been happening to you. You just, man, go over there and get in that fire pit. And you know what? Juice it up. Let the flames still be coming off the coals because you did so bad. Right? I mean, that, that's what we do. But that's not what God does. Man, God doesn't even tempt us. That's what Scripture says. Man, God doesn't tempt. He's not the tempter. He's not the one who tempts us. We're tempted when we are led astray. This is James, right? When we are led astray by our own desires. <laughs> by what's in us. And we go, wow, mm, oh, I like, you know whatever, 
chocolate cake. I, did, I said that because, you know, we always like to go to the simple, easy stuff. <laughs> we don't want to go to the hard seat. We don't want to put those out there. So two more things, and we're going to wrap up. You know, here's another problem. And, and this is a, I'm kind of, you know, literalism is in Scripture. We need to take Scripture literally, okay? But we need to understand, well, what does that mean? What are we actually saying, right? So most people who say that say, it says it right there. That's the way it says it. By golly, that's exactly what it means. And then they insert their own interpretation right into what it means. But for a literalist, there's a problem. If you're, if you're that literal about Scripture and you don't recognize these other aspects of scripture, then that means the only church being raptured, Philadelphia. Philadelphia, all the rest of them, you can forget about it. The only church who's going to participate in the rapture is the church in Philadelphia. Okay? That's what, that, that's what you would have to conclude. But what about Smyrna? The church in Smyrna had absolutely no condemnation from the Lord at all. So you, you run into issues. So we have to recognize something, and we'll end right here, is that... Why would they not be raptured? Well, why would they not be raptured, right? And then if they're not going to be raptured, I, you know, we can forget about it, right? Man, there's a lot involved in Scripture interpretation. There's a lot involved in the book of Revelation. We need to take our time to walk through it. Spend some time digging into it and asking God these questions. And you know what? He's going to teach us more about this 10 years from now than what we know today. Okay? Because God's Word is alive. It's powerful. Man, the Holy Spirit is putting it and sealing it in the walls of your heart and embedding it into your spirit and your brain. And He's speaking into your life. So, Lord, we thank you, Father, for who you are. We thank you for this time that we're able to spend together in your word. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that you just speak to us. You know where each of us are in our relationship with you. You know exactly what it is that we need. And I pray that you move mightily in our hearts and minds and move in the service this morning. We ask all these things in Jesus Christ's holy name. Amen. Amen.